we in legal and patent attorney in, in specifically are sitting in a very important uh, intersection where in one hand we see and follow the research and development. We can support the, 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 the process, we can support the technology. And from the other hand, we see the business plans. And together, when we combine both angles, we actually end up with a very important business tools and we do have the ability to predict the success. And when I'm talking about uh, the business tools, I'm uh, what is what are actually the things that we are looking for? And here I draft just few questions, which are the major questions that I would like to cover when I'm doing a due diligence. First of all, the main question is uh, that is going to be asked is does the IP cover the company core technology aspects? And this is really important for startups that are somehow in the middle. Uh, stage, because when they are in the beginning, they are running all around, they have different ideas, different inventions, and when when they mature up, they are focusing very uh, specific technology or product, and we must make sure that the, the IP indeed cover the core technology, and they are not, not handling any IP from the past that it's not so focused according to the technology. So this is one of the major questions. The other question, we are dealing here with a very dynamic field. We would like to make sure that the IP anticipate future development, shift technology. And this is mainly because, as you know, uh, the, one of the major um, uh, aspects in the, the IP is being the first to file. You need to do it very early to file your patents. Uh, otherwise, you will end up with having prior arts against technology, either from competitors or from yourself. And uh, we must, must make sure that the IP is ongoing. It's uh, uh, all the time developing according to the technology uh, in, uh, of the company, of the own com uh, technology of the company, or the technology in, ge in general in the specific field. We also would like to have a real obstacle to potential competitors. So, you know, patents are like a minefield. This is the main thing that we would like to, to have to, to, to stop others from doing what we are doing. Um, and we would like to know that uh, the IP is aligned with the business goals. And here I'm referring to the question whether the company is a one product company or maybe the company is going to develop several kinds of products, several type of technology, and they are more like a platform company, and this needs to be reflected also in the IP. And the last question, which is a very important one, were the obstacles created by third party identified? We would like to make sure that um, the company is not going to be sued because of infringing of a, of a patent. Now, all of these questions are really heavy questions. And usually when someone is asking us to create a due diligence, we have a very limited time. We have a very limited budget to do that. We're not always um, uh, supporting the company for a long time to answer all of those questions. And this is why we develop in Lapidot Malkior and Bramovich, we develop um, 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 actually a methodology that is based on three steps, uh, which I will expose it to you. Um, and 
one can stop in each step according to how deeply uh, the investors would like to go into uh, the material, how, how deep they would like to understand the, the business potential. So the first steps, we call it a, a facts-based investigation. And this is actually the only step where legal and patent have, ha, have an, an interference. This is where we actually going to more or less, in the first step, we actually, it's a very bureaucracy uh, step. We, we, we are looking on uh, the status of the patent and the ownership of, uh, of uh, the patents. Uh, it might be straightforward. In some cases, it's not. For example, um, uh, when someone would like to have a European patent, one of the options is to file a patent to the European office. But then when the patent is, uh, is granted, then in order to have a protection in a specific European country, there is a step of validation, which is actually meaning to, you need to, to pay the fees for the specific country of interest. And one of the examples we, we faced is um, in one of the due diligence that we ran, uh, that actually the patent in, in Europe was accepted, it was granted, it looked like there is a patent in force. But when you are looking behind the scene and you are going to the specific countries, uh, you see that the fees for the specific countries were not paid, so there, there is actually no patent in any European countries. So this was uh, some of uh, our, our very crucial uh, investigation. Another thing that we'll, we'll look for is for the ownership of the patent. This is very important uh, when, when patents are coming out from university, for example. So when it's a patent was drafted under the university, it will belong at the first uh, step to the tech transfer unit of the university. And only later on, it will be transferred to the company itself. And we would like to make sure that this uh, transformation was done uh, appropriately. We would like to see if there is any um, license to the third parties. And we would like to understand if there is any litigation uh, or, uh, concerning this patent. And by term litigation, it might be an opposition that uh, is allowed in, the, in, in countries like in, uh, in uh, Europe, you have the, the option of post-grant opposition. In Israel, there is a pre-grant opposition. Um, there are some opposition procedures also in the United States. There is a position opposition, there is a also a possibility to, to revoke a patent. There is a very simple way to interfere patent by sending a third-party observation, which is part of uh, the prosecution of the patent. So this, all of these are uh, things that we would like to figure out and to understand for it what is actually the status of uh, the patents uh, or the, the IP portfolio that we are dealing with. In the next step, we are going deeply, and now we would like to evaluate the scope of the patent rights. What we would like to understand here is how narrow or broad are the claims of the granted patents. Now, again, we don't have the ability to go deeply inside by understanding the full technology. We don't, usually when we're running a due diligence, we, the investor doesn't want us to uh, have a patent uh, search. 
And uh, this is why we rely here on what we are calling red flags. Some of the red flags are, for example, the differences from the PCT claims to the granted claims. Usually a company will start uh, the, the pattern with a very broad claims uh, that are part of the PCT. And uh, this is simply because you cannot uh, add any information during the patent prosecution. And one of the questions that I will ask is what was the reason of change uh, in the claims? Why they were started so broadly and ended in very narrow stock, narrow, narrow stage? It might be there is a prior art, there, there might be any, any different. What is the reason of these differences? This is the question. And other things that I would like to, to understand is the uh, concerns of claim language. Uh, no one is starting uh, patent prosecution with uh, limitation. Um, the limitation are coming out because of prosecution. So if there is uh, sentences like in the absence of, or if there is a specific range limitation, for example, when uh, there is a particle size, size and there is a uh, that was started in a very a very large range and ended in a very limited range this is a red flag the wording of consistent of no one will start a prosecution with consistent of because consistent of in the patent language mean a closed group usually you will see in a patent word like comprising which is a mean that this is an open group so this example is a clue that something was happened during prosecution, and probably there is a prior art that was limited the scope of, a, of the claim. Another red flag or another tool that we can use it is the differences between the granted claims in each country. Uh, this I have an example that we faced recently when in United States, we uh, observe a patent where they, they contain different type of um, active pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical ingredient, while in Europe it was limited to only one active pharmaceutical ingredient. And when, when we were asking the patentee why it was happened, it was happened because in Europe the, the, um, the examiner found out um, a specific prior art that was uh, the reason for limiting the claim. Now, it's mean that in the United States, either the search was not doing, doing well or the examiner was not paying attention to the prior art, the patent was granted. But it's mean that the third party can use now the persecution history in Europe in order to invalidate and revoke a patent in the United States. So, you have here three examples for how we can evaluate the scope of the patent without doing a, a patent search. I will move forward now about talking a little bit about the patent quality. So this is also something which is very important to invest in, uh, investors these days. Um, and when we're talking about the quality, um, I wrote here a sentence that I, you know, I really believe, believe in, in it. it I, I believe it's relatively easy to get a patent, but it's very difficult to obtain a patent that add a real value to the company. And when I'm saying uh, uh, adding a very good or good value to the company, 
I would like the patent to be to protect the business. One of the things that a um, company is doing, uh, they are focused on the technical details of the technology. And when they are doing so, uh, they must remember that there is a, a creative engineer in the other company that can simply design around this pattern, and which means that this pattern is not very strong. But we would like to see in a strong pattern, we'd like to see a pattern that is covering a platform, that is covering a concept, not something that is related so much to the details, but more to the general scope, to the general idea that will be very hard to someone to design around. Um, another thing that we would like to understand, we all we we think we we are talking about the patents, a business started strategy. We would like the company to have a patent strategy. Most of them doesn't have it especially startup at the beginning of the way. One of the things that uh, um, will uh, align uh, the business strategy is uh, the geographic scope of the patent. Here, we would like the patent to cover uh, the region that uh, are relevant as manufacturing site. We would like it to be in the marketing site. We would like patents to be in the potential competitor origin. And here also, there is an open question, what is actually it's going to be copied? Um, if this, uh, if uh, the element that is going to be copied is, for example, very cheap element or disposable element, we probably will end up with competitor uh, in, a, in China. Um, in China, you can enforce patent, uh, you can you can draft patent, you can file patent, enforce them, but you need to ask yourself if this element is very easy to mimic and it's very cheap to mimic. What will be the value of having a patent? Does it mean that now I will need to go to every Chinese company and send them a warning letter and start a litigation? This is is this is something which is uh, feasible? So. When we are talking about the competitors, we are talking about exactly which element is going to um, to be to be copied. Um, we would like to understand the, the opportunity uh, after the transaction. We would like to see the patent roadmap of the company. We would like to understand what are the timeline from the from uh, the research and development aspect. Um, you know, most of the companies are starting the uh, life cycle of a patent by a U.S. provisional or other priority document, uh, which means they have one year until the PCT drafting. And what we need to understand if this one year is enough, if this is allowed them to actually uh, develop what they wish for. Um, one of the examples we had is a, of a company that was a, a, that had a brilliant idea of a, a certain vaccine. They have a U.S. provisional, which was actually very good. But when I asked them, what are your plans for the next year until the PCT? 
it's look like they it's impossible. They, they they are not going to achieve everything they would like for, and probably the U.S. provisional uh, either will be abandoned or be refiled. So this timeline before be, uh, between the priority date, the U.S. provisional and the international application, the PCT, is very important to, to be understand. At the, ter- at the uh, third step, we would like to analyze the validity and the enforcement and clearance uh, of uh, the patents. In the validity, we will ask, we'll ask ourselves, actually, uh, are any patents are vulnerable to challenge by prior art? And again, we don't have a tool of a patent search. We are probably looking on the, the company uh, very briefly and need to do things very efficiently. Um, the, the major tool that we will use here is the PCT search report and the prosecution history. We'll look back to the prosecution history and ask ourselves, why there was a limitation for the claim? What is the prior art was, the, was saying? Does another company use the prior art to invalidate the patent? And one of the important questions that we need to ask the company is actually if there was any public disclosure by the company. Either they disclose the, the invention in a conference, in exhibition, in scientific paper, or even sell it or offer to sell it or use it. And if any of this was done, then the company uh, create their own prior art. This type of things that are not being examined by the patent examiner, the patent examiner is not part, part of his rule to, to, to investigate that. He doesn't know how to do that, but this, this type of prior art will probably will be used by a third party when they will try to invalidate the patent or as part of litigation when we, when we will uh, come to the company and say, look, you are infringing our patents and they will say back, uh, okay, but your patent is not valid because we, we saw your uh, machine in a, in a conference before the priority date. Now, the company would like to have a patent in order to enforce them. And here we will need to understand, is it possible to detect infringement of the patent by third parties? And here we are focusing again in the claim language. When the, the patent is claiming a process, for example, for manufacturing any comp- component, component then it will be very hard and almost impossible to detect infringement. These are the type of things that the company is doing uh, inside a factory, and we uh, usually will not see any clue on that and cannot enforce the patent uh, based on any evidence. However, if there will be a patent on the composition of matter, then it will be easier to to enforce the patent. And uh, this is one, this is getting me back to what I explained previously. This is one of of the strong patent we would like to look for. Another question we would need to ask it, what is the product fingerprint? Is there any specific fingerprint that we can identify and use it as part of the enforcement? And who is the potential infringement? Is this 
small companies all, all um, uh, around the world, which is very hard to detect. On the other way, uh, maybe th these are very big and, uh, um, um, and stable companies that uh, a small company or a small startup will be it will be very difficult difficult for them to to enforce their uh, intellectual property at the end of uh, of step 3 we are coming to the question of clearance and i specifically talking about clearance and not about freedom to operate freedom to operate is one of uh, the world that we expect a big company to have when we are talking about startups, uh, asking a startup to have freedom to operate, uh, a written freedom to operate is something very ambitious. Freedom to operate are really expensive. Freedom to operate means that uh, the company have a clear product. They know exactly in which market they would like to wish to have a freedom to operate. Instead of that, it's really reasonable to ask a startup to have uh, clearances in place, which means having some kind of, uh, of patent search that enable them to identify what are the obstacles created by third parties, what, need, what patents need to be designed around, what patent application need to be monitored. And this is a quite reasonable, it's very helpful for the company not all of the company had, have that. If the company doesn't have that, then I, at least what we would like them to have is a list of the potential competitors and follow up of uh, the competitors' uh, IEP. So they at least will know what, 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 with what they are going to deal in the, in the, in the future. Now I talked about a lot about patent. I think the patent are the main issue uh, for the IP due diligence, uh, but we must not uh, forget the trade secret. Uh, company know-how, internal company know-how is very is very valuable. Um, you don't you not need to secure it according to uh, any specific law, and you don't need. Uh, in patents, you need to be public. You need to explain what you are doing. Trade secrets are very, uh, very uh, uh, valuable because you're keeping everything inside the company. However, this is something when it, when a company telling me uh, we we have our we don't have patents, but we do have uh, our own know-how. Uh, I will ask them, okay, what? steps did you do in order to secure the trade secret? And is there any trade secret policy? And uh, I think this is a, a very important thing that most of the company are really neglecting. Another question can come for the trademark. Um, and uh, also here, uh, trademark can be a very useful tool for, for the, the company. This is the way that uh, the company can interact with, uh, with uh, internet stores like uh, Alibaba, AliExpress, Amazon, uh, eBay, whatever it is. If the company has a registered trademark, they can approach those sites and ask to remove uh, any imitator that use the, the same uh, trademark. 
And in the same time, I would, as part of this uh, uh, due diligence, I will make sure that uh, the company know how to use the, their trademark and how they prevent uh, the trademark uh, dilution. So I think I I was uh, providing you here some uh, major steps that will enable you to handle the crystal balls uh, and to predict the company success. And uh, I will be happy to answer any question. A question on patent quality, which uh, was a few slides back, uh, but it seems like patent quality is very hard to measure or quantify because, uh, of course, at the time you get the patent, it's, it's presumed valid. Um, patent quality also depends a little bit on the examiner and how good a job he or she did. It depends on uh, what the business objectives are, of course. I mean, if they merely want to present, prevent the competitor from making a carbon copy, uh, then a narrow patent may have good quality for them. On the other hand, uh, I've gotten patents where claim one was seven lines long, counting the preamble. And mm -hmm. so it's a very broad patent, uh, but does that mean it's a quality patent? And it's hard to determine that. And of course, the, an accused infringer, depending on their resources, if they do a scorched earth search, who knows what kind of prior art they might find from around the world. So when, when clients and uh, others talk about patent quality, I find it very hard to, it really describe what makes a patent a high quality versus a low quality. I mean, of course, one that is very narrow, that has very long claims, arguably that's a, a weak patent because it could be easily designed around. Mm -hmm. uh, but but how do you define a, a high quality patent? I think, uh, first of all, I agree with you. This is a very uh, difficult question to answer. And I think that a um, um, high quality patent means uh, going into the head of your competitors. When you are drafting the patent, you need to think 10 years further and imagine the, the other company that will read your patent and will try to design around it. And if you, if you uh, spend in time on that and uh, try to have many possibilities as much as possible, not in the claim itself. In the, in the claim, I would like the claim to be with many, sorry, with, with, uh, with very specific details. I don't want the claims to, be, uh, to contain a lot of details. I would like the specification part the background of the patent to have a lot of information. So when someone will need to make interpretation of the claim, he will go back to the specification and then he will find himself with many kinds of example, different, um, and, uh, different uh, type of uh, uh, enablement uh, details, that actually will make the, the claim itself much broader than it is. Yep, I agree. And I ask clients routinely, if you were in a competitor's shoes, what would you modify or tweak to make it a little bit different? 
And, and so hopefully the claim is broader than their specific embodiment, but covers uh, variations on the theme that a competitor might do. Uh, and plus by adding in those variations that hopefully might prevent a competitor from getting their own patent. Right. Right. This is, and this is another thing, of course. Uh, maybe you will not get a claim of your own monopoly, but at least you will have some uh, prior art against uh, others. I think there's also the issue of uh, clients that looking 10 years or 20 years down the road, if, if they build a patent portfolio uh, that has value, sooner or later somebody may come and offer to buy the company then you have more to offer you have yeah. more value uh, on these intangible assets uh, and so for clients they can justify the costs uh, building a, a larger portfolio of patents trademarks etc can add a great deal of value to the company definitely i agree with you I would like to jump in on a, on a different topic which relates to the last slide um, about the other rights that, uh, that we review um, during due diligence. Now, of course, it's, patents are the most difficult, but depending on the company, it's not always the most uh, important or most uh, relevant. Now, there are differences here between uh, countries, for example, in the US, uh, you're more likely to get a patent over software compared to other places around the world. Uh, but that is looking on the side, and, and that was, but Amis focus now was looking on the side of the company and how strong its rights are. The, the other aspect of due diligence in a company is looking at uh, where it's uh, 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 misusing other people's uh, rights. And uh, it's more common in the software world um, where sometimes it's difficult to detect. And uh, one of the rising issues is the issue of uh, open source software. Uh, almost all companies uh, have or, or embed some portion of open source software, which is typically protected by copyright. So that's why it wasn't part of the presentation uh, up to now. Uh, and as conducting a due diligence in the company, I would highly recommend uh, requesting a list of all modules that they embed and all each one of them, what license is governed by, because there are so many different uh, licenses by now out there about open source that have uh, different uh, requirements and limitations. Um, if you're doing a very large transaction, because I think Batami mentioned also in the patent review that we might do one or two steps and not all of them, based on the budget given uh, by the uh, investor or purchaser. But I would recommend if you're uh, doing a very large investment and you would probably want a deeper review, then there are some uh, tools uh, that can be used. Uh, for example, there's a software company called Black, Black Duck that runs over the, the code, detects all the open source uses, and uh, has a database of which license each one is used. So, of course, it, it, it makes the due diligence much more expensive than simply asking the company to give a list, but you get a, a higher uh, accuracy. And if you're uh, doing a very high value transaction with the source code is uh, the key asset of the company, then using such tools in addition to the questionnaire to the company is also something that I would uh, I highly recommend. 
thank you all for, for joining. Uh, I hope you took something away. And um, if you think of a topic uh, for the next IP Affinity Group, we'd love to hear it.